Hello and welcome to the Failure Understanding Care and Kunst podcast. You're here with me, Ruth Aitken, and me, James Lee. This is part one of a two-part episode where we talk to Themis Altenzoglu, otherwise known as Theta. He's a sound artist based here in the high north, working with dark ambient music. We invited him to take part in Fuck as part of an outdoor exhibition, or I should say a series of interventions called To Live as a Mayfly in summer 2021. In this half, we talk to him about cassettes wrapped in barbed wire, elitism in art, and resisting certain conventions in art making. And of course, the theme of this podcast, failure. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy. Hello, Theta. Uh, hello. Hello. Uh, maybe you'd like to give give the listener a quick introduction to yourself. Okay. You can include your full name if you want. I didn't dare try to pronounce your full name. Yep. I am uh, Themis. Full name is Themistoklis Altinjoglu. It's a Greek name. <laughs> and... Uh, I mostly make music and use the name Theta. I also have other parallel projects, but that's mostly the name. Mm, where else? I'm from Greece, that's why the name is Greek. But I'm in Tromso for 15 years now. Can you tell us a little bit about your arts practice? But also, you're not a full-time artist. You also have a, a day job or a bread job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, at when I wake up in the morning, <laughs> when I wake up, <laughs> uh, I, I, I used the, the day, daytime at the research institute doing research on why people eat what they, what they eat. And when that is done, I go home, eat, and then come to the studio. And then I work purely on sound and you could, Call it. I'm not from. I don't have an art school background at all. I mean, I have artists in the family, but it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> so, in a sense, I don't consider myself an artist, but more like a, a sound enthusiast, you could say. <laughs> so it's almost like uh, doing research is almost using like half the brain and the body that keeps the brain uh, upstairs. And then it feels like, okay, the other half of the brain has been resting because, I mean, it's a bit creative, but it's not enough. So then the idea of uh, making uh, sound art or music or whatever you want to call it is more like is the need to express uh, freedom. Uh, yeah, so you could say that my practice is a survival mechanism <laughs> <laughs> of uh, expressing this freedom and interacting with uh, machines and networks and things that uh, have their own freedom in a way. So it's like a, a, a playful practice, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Impulsive, not very planned or 
organized, not very conceptualized. I usually have an image or an atmosphere in my head and then work towards that. But sometimes I just start making stuff and I think, oh, that works. Mm. That's incredibly liberating yeah. uh, to not have the the critical voice in your head sometimes, I think. And I really like that idea. It's almost like you're giving agency to the machines in a way that they're in many ways a collaborator. Yeah. They're more than just a tool, it feels, which is a very lovely philosophical thought about how we can live in harmony with technology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but you started in punk bands, so maybe you could give us a little insight into your, I suppose, musical journey and how you ended up where you are. Yeah, because I think it also links up to why uh, I have this perspective towards art, because uh, when I was 16, I started playing a bass. And that led, I mean, the music that I was listening at that point was punk music. And it still is. <laughs> Not only, but it's only gets broader and broader. What can we can can you give us some Examples. some records you were yeah. listening to or I uh, it was more it was a little bit of everything, so some older things and some things that were new at that point. Now we're in nineteen ninety six in the beginning. Yeah. And so Green Day's third album. Yeah, but I didn't like Green Day anymore. <laughs> because very quickly it turned more into the crust punk yeah. so a little bit um, faster darker and a little bit more atmospheric and that's actually when uh, i mean playing in these bands and then i left town and went to study and there was more concerts and it became more and more and then at some point i noticed that actually i really like the introductions of the albums that were like dark ambient introductions but that was okay just nice part of an album and then i remember uh, when i moved to the netherlands for three years that was between 2004 and 7 i actually didn't do much music because yeah didn't feel like and after that coming to Tromsø, i thought i don't want to bother uh, meeting up with people and finding time and, you know, arranging. And so I thought, okay, I, I will do it myself. And then the idea was, what if I make introductions only? <laughs> 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 and uh, so the musical creativity or sound that is now, to me, I don't think about it that much, but it started as like, okay, can I make introductions like uh, Amoebics albums or integrity are some bands that have very good introductions or like bonus tracks so i thought okay maybe i can just do that and at the same time i really like soundtracks so i thought okay that's like kind of introductions and soundtracks for movies that don't exist <laughs> <laughs> but uh, linking to the previous question the punk origins came with uh, a little bit of a political, or maybe not a little bit, of, of a political interest, which I still have, but less active, that brought me very close to the 1968 uh, 
politics. I think one of the very nice ideas of the politics of 1968 or the revolution of 1968 was that um, a new look into Dadaism in a way and how everyone can do art and it's not um, it's not an elite thing it should t be taken out of its context of being you know for the very few the privileged the comfortable the, or those that really have the passion to go for it and that i think is uh, yeah kind of puts the two worlds together no, normally when we start uh well maybe actually before i go into my next question maybe you can expand on that a little bit uh if you if you want to talk a little bit more about about uh what you think and maybe if there's something that you're resisting or if there's a kind of art or a way of making art that you're resisting by embracing this idea uh, I think that uh, expression uh, is is a kind of uh, I mean creativity and expression is uh, in my mind very close to uh, innovation so doing something new and having um, input from the world feeds these ideas and creativity. But at the same time, if you have um, input from, for, for example, if you're a classically trained musician, you know your harmony, you know your uh, chord progressions, and you know what sounds good. And the result can be very good. I mean, ob obviously, there's so much good music out there. But in the same, at the same time, you might be stuck into this uh, channel of rules, which might may or may not be difficult to escape, or maybe it's very difficult to escape, and you only get there if you've been trying to escape for a long time. And I f have the impression, at least in my my fear, <laughs> or the impression is that uh, all arts can fall in the same trap, in a way. That uh, um, you do your thing and the works look great, but somehow uh, being influenced, uh, positively of course, but like being influenced is unavoidable. I don't know how to explain it differently, but in a way it is, it is this uh, dilemma or the double knife of like, should you know your fundamentals and build on them and expand and make your own sound or your own art? Or should you say, drop everything and just go wild? Yeah. The uneducated wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a bit like, uh, yeah, I, I, immediately a lot of things popped in my head about uh, Stockhausen or something like that and those American experimentalist composers trying to do a lot of trying to create completely new ways of thinking around music and whether that be Reich or um, you know even like uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono or something like that that milieu or that spirit that was around at that time trying to start again hmm. And I suppose you're maybe seeing yourself as part of that 
lineage, I suppose, or that, that are certainly a shared a shared spirit. Not consciously, but uh, these were quite good examples. Or like a not because I'm Greek, but a very innovative musician uh, that was contemporary and fully respected was uh, Xenakis, and he escaped his education by shifting fields. For example, for example, using architecture to draw music and music to draw architecture. T tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, instead of uh, using uh, notes on pe pentagram, he would just use the whole page and draw shapes that look more like uh, modern for that time buildings. And uh, he used inspiration, for example, from uh, how a peaceful demonstration can turn into chaos if it is pushed in the corner. And you could see in the drawings uh, and the, uh, his way of notating the music was, it's like you can see there is a narrative, but it's not no notes on a pentagram. And that could be another way that you can actually be both educated and escape. <laughs> The result is extreme, it's, yeah. Even for now, even though that, that that was many many years ago. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to a podcast the other day about the start of uh, or uh, the beginnings of synthesis. So use synthesizers essentially, and it was uh, Moog and another guy, had, a guy I'd never heard of called uh, du Ducla. You might you probably have Don Bukla. Yeah, who these two competing visions of what a synthesizer should be and Dukla uh, his critique of the Moog synthesizer was that it's basically just another kind of organ <laughs> and obviously there was immediate uptake from like all the bands at that time used it whether it be the Beatles or Pink Floyd they immediately used the Moog synth it was familiar it was recognizable but it was a twist on a familiar thing whereas uh I forget his name. D Bukla. Bukla, yeah. His idea was that, or how he drew the circuit was that every time you hit it, there would be a different result at the end. Hmm. And that seems very much what you're getting at here, this idea of trying to create a, yeah, you're trying to get away from the predictable outcome of, of hitting the G chord on the Moog synthesizer, you get a G chord back. Whereas that this this other idea of synthesis is you hit it and you get results that are somehow still musical, yeah, but are completely, in a way, unpredictable. Yeah, but I actually think the middle way. Uh -huh. How cliche, but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the middle way is uh, where I feel most comfortable because if it's like completely random, to me it sounds a little bit like a you know a cut on the piano, and uh, it's, I'm stepping on more toes now, but it's like free jazz things like that. That I think it's very complicated and sounds out of control, and uh, I cannot handle it for a long time. Like it's it's a bit annoying. But I think like halfway, like going in and out of control of your actual performance or of your actual instrument or recording is where uh, the fun is. At, uh, and I mean, the result is also because it's something, there's something attractive about predictability. 
And when you listen back, it's like, oh yeah, I know what's going to happen. And then it is almost the same, but a little bit different. Uh, you, oh, okay. I know it, but it's a little bit different this time. So it's a bit like a, you know, like a good friend <laughs> that, uh, it's, it's not a boring friend, but, uh, it's more or less, you know what to expect, but it's always different. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to bring in our, our theme now, because I think that that might be a lovely point to, to move on to trying to get you to define or maybe what does failure mean to you? And the second question is, how do you relate to that idea of or concept of failure? It's actually quite complicated. I think failure is very complicated topic because um, it, uh, it has to do both like how you look at it. And maybe there is also a social aspect, like what, what do others may think is a failure. So I, no, but I shouldn't take it like up out to the society or define generally. But for me, I think failure is uh, not a problem. <laughs> 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 failure is uh, uh, almost like uh, it depends on the size and the, and the type, of course. But failure is when when you want something to happen or something not to happen, and then it it is different than you kind of expect it but in the wrong way. <laughs> but there is uh, a very good kind of failure that is the failure you're hoping to get at. Like, uh, for example, what we spoke about before about like uh, having control of instruments or performance or like losing control and feeling that, well, it shouldn't be 100% predictable. It should be a little bit improvised or that things happen that you don't expect while this can be perceived as a failure i believe that's actually a failure that makes things alive <laughs> so it's only failure if you think it is wrong actually but what if you say that i don't know what's wrong i'm just giving something and get something back then there is no failure it's just like a b c d or whatever are the options. So, for example, if, if you are performing, uh, I mean, also the, the my <laughs> sound is very much into the noise field. And, and this sound is has failure built in. I mean, it's noise, it's not harmonic, or it is a little bit harmonic. So failure is very, very welcome. And the question is like, what kind of failure and it, should it be? Uh, so it's a narrative of failures, a sequence of failures in a way you could say, because it's not like I play the violin and this note is out of tune because everything is out of tune, more or less. So I think that's like kind of the definition in my head, at least of failure, but a failure that's uh, Good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a question of like uh, uh, accepting failure. If you if you try not to fail, then you notice every detail as failure. If you don't try not to fail, and you say I'm just uh, going with it, and I in include the failures as part of the atmosphere or, or the natural uh, way things interact, then there 
there is room for failure and it's welcome but maybe you want to you can give us like a practical example of how how that maybe engages with your i suppose when you come into the studio that's that is a failure because every podcast we start with asking for a description of where we are and i've completely failed to ask that question ah, nice. so that's something we can edit back in you know because we uh, you know in this podcast about failure there will be no room for failure we have to think that this is completely conceived but maybe yeah you can give us through like your process maybe you can explain how that concept or that philosophy how that maybe guides you through when you're working on these uh with all these units and, and, and whatnot. Since you refer to the units, uh, I can add the description of the location. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we're in the center of Tromso in a basement where there's many small offices that we have turned into studios. And one of them is where I spend time making sounds, noises. And it's a room, uh, full of stuff, lots of cables, boxes, strange synths and a pair of speakers. <laughs> but And then um, going back to the processes, like, so when I enter this space, I, I'm, sometimes there are projects that I have in mind and I have the goal and this is it and this is the plan and think like, okay, in so much time I have to generate so much music minutes <laughs> that have to sound like this atmosphere or help with that atmosphere. But other times I come here with a, without a purpose and think, okay, the purpose is to find the purpose or just to let things uh, come out. And um, I usually just connect one machine and as you can see a lot of stuff is covered with uh, cloth of course it's black cloth but <laughs> because I, I like to pick one thing and focus on it and only if that thing meaning an instrument and only if that instrument cannot uh, give what i'm looking for then i uh, like pull the curtain and connect something else because this helps with uh, focusing and also helps with making this uh, intimate uh, interaction with uh, like person and machine and get this um, um, get into the nitty gritty of the machine how the machine functions and uh, yeah but now actually I can fail and go back to the previous question because I found uh, a way a bad type of failure. <laughs> I thought of a bad type of failure, and that is, if if uh, if the goal is to make a, a, an atmos a specific atmosphere for a music release or for a video or something, and then I know that like okay, I've been working on this so long, and when I hear it, it doesn't sound like what I wanted to. It doesn't feel like I wanted to feel. It, it went somewhere else. And it's not really giving the result that I'm looking for. Or it gives the result, but it's very boring. <laughs> like, it's just like, okay, who, yeah, okay, it's, it's good, but who wants to listen to this? 
and when that happens often actually it's it needs more at least in my ears it's the lack of uh lack of control <laughs> so if something is very uh, carefully made very systematically and polished and like overworked i think that uh, then it dies out and uh, i have a process that if things sound uh, dead or boring or it doesn't give the mood then i pick one of the strange things around the studio that are made that are acoustic acoustically interesting like a uh, candle holders or like flutes or whatever because these you can record uh, with microphones and get maybe somebody else at the studio next door is coming in and you get a door slamming in the recording and then suddenly it all becomes alive so again i think like uh, small errors is is exactly what makes things a bit more interesting i think that's really interesting when you talk about good and bad uh yeah you said i've got an example of a bad failure so that's quite interesting the idea of a good and a bad failure that you are looking one can say for the good failures was the a goal it's like oh look at this new machine it uh, you can uh, almost not control it at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think i think it's really interesting this idea of failure being um something that's integral to sort of a pro progress or like advancing keeping something alive like we talked to somebody else and they were very much talking about the idea of uh sort of stasis the, the idea of like failure sort of being anti-stasis without failure you end up just being this maybe perfect but completely like un, um yeah unmoving you know like it's uh, mm. the end points where you can't move anymore yeah like yeah. a scary haircut <laughs> <laughs> scary haircut yeah like if you see uh, I, I instantly thought of american psycho <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right, okay, it's, it's yeah. like you can see that there's like nothing is off the lines. Mm. They're like there's zero failure, and it looks pretty scary. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I find this quite often in a lot of art exhibitions. Uh, so again, like a different art form, but this idea of like deadness, where you can go into an art exhibition. This is maybe no no shade to like <laughs> any particular artists. Um, but often you go in and it just feels like everything has been tweaked too much and it's just yeah dead there's just like a real stasis there's no movement there's no um yeah and i, th I think it's like a really interesting aspect to think of this as uh like an anti-stasis or a yeah sort of dystopian yeah if a utopia is a stasis then you've got like failure is this like positive yeah. dy dystopia yeah, it, it reminds me a bit of uh, when I read, I read the uh, old philosophy, not not Greek stuff only, but also like uh, alchemy, like a bit the weird side of philosophy. And one of the concepts that is throughout all that is uh, that uh, life uh, or na nature is life <laughs> and life is movement. 
So it's interesting when you say like it's stasis, it's, so it's, it stops somehow. So when, when it's perfect, there's no movement and then it's dead. So, so we've been talking about, uh, failure in art, which in the same way that actually early biologists were talking about, like, what is it really that to be alive? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's to not have rigor mortis. <laughs> um. <laughs> but I mean, also, it's true. I mean, maybe physicists will get really angry at me, um, but I kind of presume we don't have that many living, <laughs> listening. Uh, <laughs> but this is like the idea of energy, right? Energy is not like a matter and it's not a thing. It's just sort of a difference, uh, hmm. a difference in how... I'm really fucking yeah. up, <laughs> but it is like a, it's it uh, is purely uh, about the work rather than hmm. uh, matter. Yeah. It's yeah. not matter. It's yeah. it's a movement. It's we movement. Talk, we mm. talked about that uh, uh, because I got a, a grade one in standard grade <laughs> chemistry in Scotland when I was sixteen. Um, one out of seven. So one is the top, uh, and okay. seven is the bottom. Okay, I got I got the top grade in chemistry. When nice I was at school, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just mention that for the, for the record. <laughs> uh, but I remember, I remember it was really funny, and, and you would giggle in class because they would talk about uh, atoms being excited. <laughs> that was it, and that was that was yeah. Well, that was enough to get you going. <laughs> well, if you're a thirteen-year-old boy, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that that excitement, ex idea of excitement, that like coldness. You know, the atoms are not moving, but when you're talking about warming, like things are getting excited, which I think is a really nice, like, word to use, like a very metaphorical word, or like an anthropo anthropomorphizing word on this chemistry, which I quite like. Yeah, Do, yeah. Particularly with like, fa so failure is excitement. And uh, successes. <laughs> boredom. Yeah, boredom. Boredom. Yeah, maybe it's also that, like, uh, if if failures, if success comes through several failures, then it's the end of the line. Mm. And then what? Then you maybe choose the next step. So you restart failing mm. until you succeed again. And then it's. But I think at least. I hope that nobody stops when they succeed because then it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. But that's the point. Do you think failure, like success, is the opposite of failure? Is success the end line or is success something in its own right? Yeah, it depends on your goal. I mean, that's very another very difficult term. I don't think failure and success are uh, the op opposites in a way. I think it's just a. Uh, both very subjective as well. Like success for you. I mean, if I think this is a perfect album and it's done and I, I succeeded in recording this work and I put it out in the world, it doesn't mean that everybody else thinks it's, I succeeded in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a very subjective thing. And I think it's actually quite important to realize that, uh, there are some things that are personal and some things that are social and they don't necessarily align. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there is always critics and reviews and evaluations and whatever. Yeah. They're supposed to be like, okay, does your perception of success align with 
the general or my uh, definition of success. But I think it's still subjective. It's just like two subjective opinions or, or more. Mm. But uh, it's very difficult to find an objectively successful result. At least, I mean, if you were trying to, to light a match, <laughs> when it's fire, it's, you succeeded. But I mean, when it comes to art, I think that's the beauty of it, that uh, uh, there's no objective definition of success. I mean, even if you look at uh, realism, when photography didn't exist and realism was interesting, what was successful then to make a person identical to how they are? But what if there is no like life in the eyes, for example, if you look at these old paintings that they look like, oh, it's like a person sitting there. So sad they didn't have photography. <laughs> <laughs> but then you can see like uh, successful paintings that are boring. So not su not su that successful. Mm -hmm. Successful paintings that are, have something extra. And sometimes this something extra is small errors, imperfections, like promoting the emotion in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so many different, so many different, well, as you say, subjective or, or not even subjective, but just so many different ways to measure that success. I mean, the most obvious one, because we live, well, maybe because of the society we live in, the financial success, like how much money something makes is often a shorthand for something being uh like if something's good or not, I, I, uh, I remember, and it's often a way that people, when they come to maybe more experimental art, you know, when you move away from the idea of does something look like something, like how does, like if you're not reading critiques or if you're not reading newspaper articles, it can maybe be quite disorientating. Like what criteria do I use to judge this? An example that's quite funny. I went into the Glasgow Museum of Modern Art and there was a big sculpture by an artist. And my mum uh, happened to be this woman's cleaner. And my mum works as a, uh, like worked as a cleaner. And uh, around the sculpture were these security guards. Like it seemed in my head, in my memory, there was like 50 security guards, obviously. There wasn't, but there were so many security guards around the sculpture and I was looking at the sculpture and I was a little bit ah, oh, like I was like, oh this is actually really oh this is quite a nice sculpture, I really like it. I can see where you know, I can see where this comes comes from. She used to make little maquettes, like little maquettes in her studio when my mum would come up and I'd say, Oh don't clean that, that looks like art. But I think you can clean away that. That 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 you know that I think that's just some paper on the floor, Mum. Uh and the security guard tried to engage me in conversation, presumably because he was really bored and noticed I was really, uh, you know, I was looking at it, probably a little bit confused. And he goes, uh, we got talking to someone like, uh, she's been bought, this has been bought by the Saudis or something like that, or she's bought by the Saudis, like meaning like it sold for millions to the like Saudi Arabian, like some Saudi Arabian prince or something like that. And uh, I thought it was just like really, really funny. I didn't know what to say. And I said, oh, and I had to say like, oh, my mom is, I'm here because my mom is this woman's cleaner. Uh, 
And I thank you for letting me know because now I'll tell my mom she should ask to get her wages up per hour, you know. Uh, but I just thought it was really interesting that one of the first things he said was, like, he's he knows that I'm looking at this really skeptically or I'm just trying to, not quite knowing what to do, but just kind of looking at him. He was looking at me and he said, okay, how can I, like, how, like what do I say to this guy? Meaning, what does the security guard say to me to make me think that this is a good piece of art? It's to say that it's worth a lot of money, which I think is a, a really interesting way of how somebody would judge quality. But it's, if you're not aware of any, like if you're, if you're not aware of like a history or if you're not aware of a, of like different criteria, I think what you were saying, you had a good way of putting it. You said, it's how I feel if it doesn't make me feel. But if you don't vibe that way with art, you don't have that kind of connection with art, it can be very difficult to find the language and the way to, yeah, how does one think about art? even more fundamentally but uh i've big trouble accepting uh price as a definition of success or like economical success as a definition of personal success because or like uh, the price of an item as a measurement of quality uh, because now we're coming a little bit on my day job side <laughs> but uh uh, value is something that people place on items and price is the description of this value but um, there are things that are worth nothing but because of uh, branding or you know social epidemics <laughs> people suddenly want to have them and then the prices go up and maybe they produce less of them because then the prices go even higher and I think art can easily be abused in the same way, especially because scarcity is already there. You have one item. Sometimes you have prints that are more items, but most art is singular items. And then if you have someone that's already been uh, getting known, um, it's it's a little bit of a very strange feedback loop. I think like you. As an artist, you become known because you're doing something that people like. But it doesn't mean that whatever you make is good. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you see, I don't want to name examples, but I mean, there are many extremely expensive items in very known museum that you think that's just because of the person who made it. Mm. It does, really doesn't mean that the quality is good, even if it's purely conceptual that you cannot easily get, maybe the point it's still i think many times very misleading because of uh, the person branding and i mean are you successful if if you can just write your name on a cardboard box and then people pay millions for it is i don't know i think that's a big failure actually <laughs> <laughs> even if even if you're rich it's not satisfying at all like Maybe maybe if your goal in life is to fool people, then it's very satisfying and it's pure success. But uh, I don't know how long such kind of uh, world perspective can last. I mean, what kind of creativity did you express 
by doing that. It's like, oh, I am that person, so here's my name, boom. And, yeah, and I think like, uh, now I don't remember the name of the philosopher, but it was one of the Stoics that said, uh, you're not rich when you have more, you're rich when you need less. And that, I think, is a very good definition of how, I mean, financial success, maybe in the beginning it's nice because, well, finally it's comfortable, but, but it does, it's, I don't think it's satisfying in the long run. It's just like, yeah, because, I mean, people very easily get greedy with money and power. But I think I think there's also something with, for example, the music you make, Veta, that the commercial, uh, like the, the 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 commercial ceiling of you know noise music, like part of the joy of of listening to it is the fact that it is a little bit, uh, like uh, it can often be repulsive and quite difficult, right? Like I was I was refer I was listening to one of your releases for a label. Uh, uh, maybe you released it last year. I can't remember. And it was it was maybe one of your more, uh, let's say, more aggressive tracks. You know, and part of the joy of it is that it is like there's something quite repulsive to it. So there's there's obviously going to be something that, like, there's no way there's going to be a big enough commercial market for that. Uh, so like you have to by necessity, like that that obviously operates at a whole different. Like it operates in a whole different world, if that makes sense. And the way that, how that, I mean, maybe you can even talk a little bit about it because I know you've been releasing on various labels and you have your own label and, uh, there, there's a, there's maybe, or my assumption is that when you were talking about all these, uh, like this forum you were on, like there's this whole international community that are, I suppose, helping each other in, in some way hmm. sort of share the work so maybe you want to talk a little bit about that as well yeah this is actually the noise world i mean my sound is not as noisy as it can get but uh the noise world is a bit like the punk world should have been <laughs> so uh, i think that the beauty of it is that uh if a hundred 50 people know that you exist you you made it you're like a celebrity <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so so like you have you have a wikipedia page yeah so that's uh, that is, i think definitely success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but well, you know anyone can go in and edit so i don't even know if it's true <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. but uh, I, I mean and that's very liberating too, because I mean, it's, it's a kind of a choice because um, when I, I spent, uh, it's a 35% uh, job. I've counted how many hours I spent here and, uh, it's a 35% uh, employment <laughs> <laughs> and for many years. And I mean, if, if you spend so much time on something and your goal is to be successful, you should have actually, I, I should have changed what I make. <laughs> yeah. by now i should have realized like maybe i'm on the wrong path <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but but the whole uh, the whole idea is i think it's liberating that it's like yeah it's for few it's not on purpose for few it's not like elitist but it's it's a kind of uh, 
it's so free that it ends up difficult. <laughs> but that's a kind of uh, freedom and shared interest. We say, yeah, well, there is enough people that are interested, so it's still relevant. And uh, like you said, there is a shared uh, responsibility or shared sharing the work. Like there is a lot of collaborations uh, taking place and uh, people that are uh, doing this for many, many years and are very known, which means 151 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> persons yeah, know, yeah. know them, yeah. uh, are just uh, an email away. And then uh, I, I have experienced that uh, everyone is super friendly and collaborative in a way that you just get in touch, you send each other sound files and you just work together. And most people have uh, micro <laughs> labels as well. Because then you can exchange kind of the, the the labor of putting things out, sending the packages, you know. But you have to put some money into making the stuff on the physical format, which I mean there there is uh most of the world listens to Spotify, I have the impression now, and there is some uh percentage that uh goes back to vinyl and maybe some on tape and maybe some on CD lately. But if you look into the <laughs> the noise world and these labels, they haven't stopped using any kinds of format, including like reel-to-reel -reel and mini discs and <laughs> whatever. Because why not? Because the medium is there. Uh, when nobody wants to use it, it makes it more accessible. It's It's cheaper. It's available on eBay or whatever. Yeah, 5% uh, from eBay, please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at the same time, the format is often a part of the uh, concept of the, of the background concept of the release. So, for example, if, uh, if the topic is more futuristic and the sound results into being more sharp and clear and things like that, then it shoots much better on CD because the sound will transfer accurately and at the same time opening this plastic case or this paper you know the whole experience of using a cd even though it's old it's still a little bit futuristic or more futuristic than putting an lp album yeah. vinyl on, like placing the needle yeah. so i i think it's um uh almost like performance art <laughs> in a way because you have you have the atmosphere and the concept the music goes with it you have the artwork that is the cover that goes with it and then you have like okay how will it be released and you have uh, people releasing things wrapped in uh, sharp metal fence material that you basically get cut while you're trying to get your cassette out yeah. That's, that's very death metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's part of, and they're doing it very, very uh, consciously, or like um, enclosed in things that you have to break, otherwise you cannot take it out, actually. And then what do you do then? Do you actually take out the cassette or the CD, or do you leave it there and say, oh, this is, I bought this. This is sacred. <laughs> this is sacred. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. And that makes it, I think, uh, even more like playful. You can do even more and even less uh, 
elliptices because it's it's not expensive it's creative you can just do whatever like you see i have a bag of uh, old birch <laughs> yeah. bark it's dried out now so it's useless but a year ago when i picked it it was flexible i was thinking i can wrap something in it now i have to make it wet again <laughs> <laughs> out of interest um how much uh how many streams do you yeah how much how much dollars do you get per stream on spotify I oh mean, you're talking point zero 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 three dollars per stream I th the last i checked but I mean, i'm not really sure if it's correct it's like 0 0.003 and uh, uh my success <laughs> is, the, is that uh, i think i have um, maybe five albums on all streaming services because once you send them out they go you can use a distributor which you pay a little bit and then they put it all in all streaming services and i think in the last uh i think it's now four years i made uh, nine dollars you basically earn back i placed a bit for the villa of hulk hogan <laughs> nine dollars the second bidder won <laughs> <laughs> but you um but when you're thinking about your releases how do you think about the the end result i mean it seems like it's both a conceptual thing but it's also maybe a, a sonic thing for example if you know something is going to have a ton of bass for example you maybe don't want it on vinyl for example uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about about that yeah, this is uh, kind of what I hinted before on like how it translates on the medium. And uh, <clears throat> for example, if you, if, if the recording is very focused on the texture, if you record on tape, it's easier to hear the tape effect if you listen to it on CD. <laughs> because uh, if you, if you then release it on tape, you have too much of a tape effect. Too much here. Yeah. And you might lose because tape has this limitation. You lose uh, bass and uh, highs. And uh, I, uh, I personally think it's uh, extremely important to use uh, extreme frequencies. It's twice extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because uh, I, I'm very interested in uh, when I, when I say like uh, the goal of generating an atmosphere with sound. I think it's emotions. So like the, the goal is that the listener gets the emotion you're trying to send. You're trying to generate the emotion that, for example, you know, the back alley behind the studio here, it's very, uh, drafty sometimes. If it's rainy, you can, it, it reflects a lot, but it's still like high buildings around. And there's a little entrance with every now and then the bus goes by. It's a bit of a creepy, dark environment, but it's pretty crisp and wet. It's, it's like, very interesting so how do you make a sound <laughs> that's that place and then i think like uh if you have extremely low frequencies you you generate this uh depth and a bit of the darkness if you have extremely high frequencies at least in my mind then you have the sparkles more like small light if you interrupt the frequencies and if you then go that extreme and you put it on uh, vinyl, the needle will jump. <laughs> so that would have to be a CD or digital only. So it's a question of like, what is the goal, I think? 
What is your favorite use for the Eventide Space Pedal? Um, I I have uh, one sound, one setting, but I tweaked a bit to be a little bit closer to what I want. And my favorite use is to put it on everything. And uh, I have the, the only thing I tweak is how much is it in the mix. And I have a rule just to simplify my decisions. It's either 13%. 33, 66, or 100%. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> so it's like how far, I, I think of it like the sound makes things sound far. So I think like how far is, is it? <laughs> yeah. And combined with uh, the filter over it, if you, if you cut high frequencies and put the reverb very far, then things really sound like, um, like planets very far away, like, big things if, if it's like very thick bass sound and you filter it even and you put it far it sounds like oh like lovecraft <laughs> like something is coming i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah uh i'll get back on the i'll get back on my questions now our train of thought was completely we do have one we do have uh we do have one question uh, uh okay while we're on gear what is the most fun piece of equipment in here and can we play it the most fun i believe is the candle holder <laughs> and actually used it at insomnia 2020 because you you'll hear why so while you're going for this, uh, this was the this was the insta was this the installation in the kiosk? No, no. It was the performance on uh, one of the stages in Greece. Trying to remove a bow. Get a bow. Off a nail. Theta is trying to collect a bow off a nail. With lots of chains. So I'll give you a very lovely. Here. So we have. Uh, we have an eventide harmonizer pitch factor that's uh, going into the uh, eventide space pedal. Uh, around me, I have a electron eight-track dynamic performance sampler. Okay, he has got the thing. He's got it. Oh, and Basically, I think these are the most fun. They're very simple. So when we ask the question, can we play it? He's he's found the cheapest thing he has in here. Yeah, but that's yeah. It's a walk lid. Yeah. It sounds like this. And I've connected under it this thunder yeah. toy. That's a spring. Yeah. Oh, it sounds fantastic. like this. And together, it sounds like this. <laughs> and if you put this through distortion and uh, yeah, yeah, reverb, yeah, it sounds like amazing. Yeah, yeah. And this kind of stuff is what works when things get boring. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.
That's awesome. <laughs> what did you do with that on stage? Did no, you? this this is just the, okay. Another one. No, oh, that would be awesome. I can imagine that going through those, you know, big uh, bass subwoofers, you know, on Drive or something like that, and sounding awesome. This and this is like this uh, candle holder mm. yeah, that you can hang on your balcony and put the candle in there, and it it has a round filled bottom, and it has this. Uh, what do you call them? Little thin bars around it. And a handle that you can, in a way, hold it without stopping the metals from vibrating. And uh, it sounds like this with a bow. That's amazing. That. And again, it's very, it sounds very big if you amplify it and add a little bit of distortion. Yeah. And of course, you can probably just. Yeah, it's like the pitch is changing depending on where you play it. On the yeah. Curve. Yeah. Mm. But of course, no, no pitch is identical. But and that's back to the failure part. Okay? Like it, it does its thing. But of course, if you play higher, the distances are smaller, so you get more of this sound. And if you play lower, there's more room for the metal to vibrate, so you get more like this. But if you turn and you go to another one, like they're almost the same, but not. <laughs> horror movie sound absolutely 100 percent. and when you're done you can put your candles in there <laughs> <laughs> when you're done you can take it back to yenbrook <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's awesome or write your name on it and sell it for a million <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by us john ronson no james lee rufa again who together are the duo behind Fuck. The duo behind Fuck. We would like to thank Norse Kulterrode for funding this podcast. We'd also like to thank the Kunst Academy in Tromso and Nicholas Horner for allowing us to use their facilities at the Kunst Academia. We would like to thank Themis for the lovely conversation we had. The music in this podcast was brought to you by background music for house parties using as a source some music made by Theta. We'll be back now with part two of this episode. When I wake up... <laughs>